Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, how's it going this week? Sorry, you caught me mid-yawn. It's going okay this week. <laughs> I'm very sleepy today. Mm, yeah. It's going to be well, it's going to be a long podcast for you as well because listeners, I have watched very little TV this week. Like I've watched our show that we're going to spotlight, which is Kim's Convenience, season 4. Um that's going to coming coming at the end of the show and like two other TV shows for various reasons that I'll get into in the in the episode, but um yeah, so it's going to be a lot of Noel talking today and, and then me going, yes, I think that's very interesting. I agree. Which I, I apologize <laughs> to that iTunes reviewer who hates my voice from last <laughs> summer um, that I don't think you're listening anymore. But if it makes you feel any better, I don't like my voice either. So we're in the same boat. Well, don't worry, because there I've also gotten iTunes reviews about how they like the the podcast except I'm annoying <laughs> my voice mm. is annoying it's like okay well then why are you listening because <laughs> spoiler alert our voices are not gonna change so you know that's cool I mean I can make my voice change I mean I could spend a lot of time and, and trying to tweak editing settle settings for that but I'm not gonna do that no one has time for that even in the time of corona we don't no one has the like energy in their life for that and we certainly don't hear uh this week in distancing there was a lot of of good uh content that i greatly enjoyed um i mentioned the hamilton thing on some good news last week uh this week uh musically i really enjoyed the uh mask maker have you seen this uh mask maker mask maker mask maker make me a mask yeah, I did see the mask maker. See, now I'm changing my voice. No, <laughs> I did see the mask maker a uh, bit, uh, which I thought of today um, on sheltering, streaming in place when um, Allison Shoemaker, friend of the show, mentioned Phantom of the Opera and went, his mask is not appropriate. No. It's not enough. Not at all. Um, my mom has been making masks uh, until she, she ran out of elastic. She found like three different, like, hidden away stores of elastic in various parts of her sewing area that she had forgotten about. So like, cause she had different kinds of elastic for different kinds of things that she was making work. And now she's officially out. So she had to stop making masks because people kept reaching out like family members or friends of a friend or that kind of a thing. She was offering to make mm-hmm. masks right when this all started. People were like, no, I, th- I mean, I don't know if it's really medical grade. So I don't know. And she's like, okay, well, fair enough. Sorry. And now it's like, I could have gone to the store and bought elastic back then. Yes. And now everything's closed and backordered. Um, anyway, so so I was enjoying that one this week. That was my one of my highlights. Did you have any fun stories this week in, in our social distancing world? Do I? No, I really don't. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have anything. Like it's really hard to have fun hijinks happen. When I never leave the sofa. Well, you say that, but uh, fans of uh, streaming in place know that Grayson is quite the scamp and very cute. So there is quite a bit of adorableness happening at uh, at Castle Kirkpatrick. So, you know, yeah, (laughs) it just depends on whether it's been captured for social media. Like the amount of time I have spent uh, on animal things 
like, as I'm, you know, like, watching TV or trying to, like, because I'm watching Lucifer every night, and I've been watching it with my parents, and so then we have to, like, coordinate our time so we can, like, all be available, right? So then I'm, like, sitting there waiting for everyone to, to assemble on the couch and scrolling, and it's like, well, this is, there's an animal who's stuck in a thing. Yes, I'm going to watch the rest of this video to watch the human help them. What am I going to do? Not watch the human rescue the llama? That's that's not happening. <laughs> so yeah, that the, the animal content. I know it's. I'm such a target for that. I know. I know it's such an easy thing uh, to to get some ad views and everything. But I, I still fall for it every time. Don't care. Yeah. No. I think that's that's a good call. Um, animal content's very important. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about pitching you the idea of just becoming an animal podcast. <laughs> Um, going forward when we run out of TV to talk about. Yeah, which, you know, that's, <laughs> will be happening sooner rather than later, I imagine. Uh, but this week, we still have plenty of things to talk about. So we are going to head into our week in TV. And I say we are going to have plenty of things. Noel has plenty of things to talk about because a bunch of shows have started in the last week or two. Like, a bunch of them have come back. And there's lots to say. I just haven't seen them all. So um, I will be asking questions. And Noel, you'll be telling us what we should be prioritizing. So we will take a break. Listen to some music and be back right after this for our weekend TV. week in TV, we are going to be talking about, uh, or Noel's going to be talking about DuckTales, which is back for season three. This week's episode is Double O Duck in You Only Crash Twice, but there were also two episodes last week. Then Noel's going to talk a bit about What We Do in the Shadows, season two, Resurrection, Ghosts, uh, the first couple, first one episode or two episodes? Two episodes. They're two separate episodes. So it's Resurrection is one episode and then Ghosts is the second episode. Okay, that makes more sense. Then I'll give a quick uh, summation of like what the things I've been watching. So some YouTube content that I have discovered years too late and some other <laughs> stuff that I've been enjoying. Before we go over to drama and Noel uh, fills us in on the season three premiere of Killing Eve, Slowly, Slowly Catchy Monkey, <laughs> which is a, just a fun title, as well as Mrs. America, which debuted uh, on Hulu this week. We've got Phyllis, Gloria, and Shirley. Then there's The Good Fight, uh, which, yes, it debuted last week, but now it starts for realsies with The Gang Tries to Serve a Subpoena. And then I will preview We're Here, which is a new reality show premiering next week on HBO. And we'll round things out with Drag Race, Madonna, the unauthorized Rusical. And then I'll talk a little, just a little bit of a tease for next week's Drag Race as well, which is Droop, which is no way a Drag Race version of Goop. Why would you think that? I didn't realize that's what they were doing. I was so confused. Oh. I was trying to come up with like, like DR. Well, that could be drag race. What does the OOP stand for in this terrible product placement episode they're doing? Yeah. 
Sometimes I'm slow. Uh, but I got there, and so we'll talk about that later in the segment. First up, though, we have DuckTales, Double O Duck in You Only Crash Twice. So I'm expecting that this to have a bit of flying here. Uh, how was this episode, and, and how has the start of Season 3 been? So Double O Duck doesn't actually have any flying in it, Kate. You'll, you're just going to be shocked to learn there's actually no flying in that episode. Well, um, I'm sure there's other fun crashes. There, there is actually a pretty solid crash in it. But this one has uh, Launchpad and Dewey uh, getting up to some antics with Thal, um, the evil organization that's going to be the antagonist of this season, if you remember from the cliffhanger from season two. Uh, so they come a little bit to the forefront in this episode in a heavy James Bond riff in which they have an intelligence ray type of thing that can make you stupider or smarter depending on the setting. And Launchpad gets hit with the smarter version of it and becomes a suave secret agent um, for a little bit. And it's very amusing. It's very funny. Um, the previous two episodes were from last week were also really, really good. The first episode, uh, does a lot to set up what they're going to do this season, which is going on the hunt for some lost, lost artifacts, basically, that Fowl is either already in possession of or is also looking for. So there's some good sort of like, very old school sort of DuckTales vibes of someone else's after the things were after, uh, which I'm very excited about. I think is very is a very good sort of concept for the show now that they've got Della back and she's a regular member of the show and that they don't quite have like anything really big on the horizon except for this foul threat. So that premiere was really good at setting that up, and it also gave a little bit more shading to Violet, um, who you may remember from some of the Webigale-centered episodes from season two as one of her best friends, along with Lena. Uh, she gets some more shading in the premiere that I really, really like. She has two dads, um, which I think she mentioned um, in one of the sleepovers, but I don't quite remember. Um, but then the second episode, Kate, is a really weird episode that I don't know quite what to do with, and I want you to watch it, and I, then I want us to kind of circle back and kind of figure out what it what its tone was. Um, because it was a very meta episode about 90s sitcoms, um, in which they end up trapped in a 90s sitcom. Okay. And... I, and the only one who slowly starts figuring it out is Huey, naturally, because he's voiced by Danny Pudi. So there's that level of metatextuality of the guy who became famous for being on an anti-sitcom sitcom um, <laughs> that also loved sitcoms, realizing that he his character is trapped in a sitcom. I think there's just some nice layers there, but also tonally, I'm not quite sure how that episode feels about multi-cam 90s sitcoms either and so i would like to you to watch it and then kind of report back so we can have a quick convo about it because i don't feel like the episode is particularly keen on 90s multi-cams but it's really hard to tell um which is a really weird sensation for a show like this so i didn't know quite what to do with it but i would like to hear what you think about it when you get time to watch it so ducktales is off to a really good start i think this season um the first the first episode and the third episode i think are real solid and then the second episode is just kind of weird um even my partner was like this seems like a weird energy to be back with basically uh so 
it's definitely still terrific and i really look forward to watching it every week um that it's going to be running so i'm glad it's back is how i'm really feeling about it because my partner and i love eating breakfast and then watching ducktales on saturday mornings <laughs> That sounds wonderful. That sounds exactly right. Um, yeah, I mean, when you, that's it'll be interesting to watch that sitcom episode when you talk about the like classic Ducktales feels with like the adventure and kind of like chase kind of element. Yes, uh, for the for the premiere, I'm, that's really exciting. And I, you know, I feel like you know, lost opportunity for some airplane crashing, but I'm sure it makes sense narratively in the episode, the other crashing that we get. Um, but but uh, yeah, that's. There is a big speedboat chase. I mean, there's just nice. a number of James Bond stuff <laughs> just baked into that episode that are really delightful. Uh, plus, the B-plot with Scrooge is pretty solid. Uh, David Tennant, man, just, he's so good on this show. <laughs> yeah, no, he's very fun. He's very fun. And and, and the show, his comfort, comfort, like, playing with his uh, persona and, and really going in for these different uh, energies of the show it works really well. Uh, now I got to say, uh, speaking of David Tennant, Dr. Who a bond episode or DuckTales bond episode, which you prefer? Um, that's a tough call. Cause that Dr. Who bond episode was really good. Um, I think I'll go with Dr. Who, but Oh, you know what? No, I'm going to give it to DuckTales. You want to know why? Cause there's a really good voice cameo uh, for Steelbeak that I, I was very happy about, even though it doesn't quite fit the character. I'm not going to complain that much, but I don't want to spoil it. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. the restraint. Um, how was What We Do in the Shadows, Season 2, Resurrection and Ghost? I'm so I'm very glad to have both of these shows back, because these shows are like yes. exactly the content <laughs> that I want right now. Yeah, and <sighs> What We Do in the Shadows just comes back really very strong. Like, Resurrection, I think, is probably one of their stronger episodes um, that they've done, just in terms of a just, like, last-per-minute sort of approach. It's really, really good. Um, there's a terrific guest star. I know that you've been spoiled on this. Um, however, like... Listeners, if you haven't been, I'm not going to say who it is, but it's a really good kind of perfect guest star for them to kick off. Uh, narratively, there's a lot of good stuff regarding what Guillermo is up to as a quasi-vampire slayer. <laughs> now, um, in light of that these three um, vampires on Staten Island have departed from the Vampire Council and now are kind of like outside the community, basically... And how that plays into Guillermo sort of embracing his vampire slayer past. So I think that there's a lot of good stuff in Resurrection. And it's all just generally really, really funny. Um, including um, another really solid cameo of a necromancer who shows up. Um, that is also really, really good. Um, and then also just a really great job at Our Town as well. Um, that works pretty well. Uh, so Ghosts also has a really good guest star come back um, from season one. and But most of the episode is about all the vampires sort of communing with their uh, souls, with their spirits who manifest as ghosts during a seance. And so trying to help their ghosts um, with their unfinished business, basically. And it's pretty solid, like, kind of character stuff in getting a sense of what the what was important to these three vampires before they became vampires. And I really like the both consistency, but also the really kind of quiet layers, particularly for um, Nandor 
that we get in that episode. So it's pretty good. Um, they're just, I'm really like, like you said at the top of this little bit, I'm really glad that both DuckTales and what we do in the shadows are back because they're just, they're balms for the soul. And all three, all five of these like collective episodes have just been really, really great to have over the past two weeks. So I'm really glad it's back. Both very strong episodes. And I'm going to take a sip of water now so you can tell me about some <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> great. Well, uh, what I've been watching, aside from the other things I'll be talking about in this segment and later in the show, uh, is mostly a lot of short form things. So YouTube, uh, shows and TV shows, TV content on YouTube for various reasons. I'm very excited that knocking on wooden things, I should have fast internet next week. Um, we're, we're changing the internet, uh, service here and uh we're gonna go from for this will mean some things to some people uh but we currently have download speeds of six megabits per second and i didn't realize that our max speed was six until this week but it makes so much more sense with what the experience has been during quarantine slash shelter in place it's like oh that explains a lot and like earlier this week when the internet wouldn't work and i couldn't load my dvr for example to watch things because you know it got stumped by twitter <laughs> it certainly wasn't going to be loading a video uh that was like, okay, it's time to actually look into this. But point being, I've, I've managed to watch some YouTube this week and the main, like, things I've been, like, falling into, besides the ones I've mentioned previously on the show, are, uh, gourmet makes on the Bon Appetit. Uh, a network or channel from the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. Now, obviously, right now, everybody is distancing, but because I hadn't watched, you know, the show before, any of their shows before, um, it's all new to me. And this is a series of videos where a pastry chef named Claire uh, tries to, like, retrofit or create, uh, recreate the recipes for junk food of various kinds yes. and candies and things. Yeah. And uh, and start with the finished product and can you fi figure out a recipe that, I mean, theoretically, it's supposed to be for a home baker, but they use all these tools that very few people would actually have in their home kitchen. So it, it's it's more about the process than anything else. And it's been absolutely delightful. Um, and as I saw somebody mention in one of the comment sections for the videos, what's really fun about it is watching the workplace dynamic because you start out with like an episode that you're actually interested in or a candy or a food that you're actually interested in. And then after you've watched a couple of those, it's just you, you've connected to the characters very much in a, a the office kind of way for their their dynamics and the various relationships um you know the banter with the different types of people and it, it's just a well-constructed show it's uh, the they know their personalities they know the timing really well like what's going to work like how long they can show claire working on something before and getting frustrated or not before they need to just like cut ahead or they do they do they do these really um well done quick cuts backs to cut backs Cut, they cut back really uh, well to previous episodes and they put on like old timey flashback music <laughs> and like a sepia filter when they do it. Um, and the, not just for straightforward things that would be easy to find, but for like one off quick mentions of things that you know some person had to like sit and rewatch like 10 videos to find like this one little interaction from a previous episode so they could quote it in the new one. Um, and that level of care really uh, and attention to detail really builds uh, a connection with the 
people editing and putting together these videos. So I enjoy, um, I knew I would enjoy this segment and I would enjoy Claire when I watched the first one. I think the first one I watched was Twix. I could be wrong. Uh, that was one of the earlier ones I watched. And obviously for that, there's chocolate. So she has to temper chocolate. And immediately upon mentioning tempering chocolate, um, she just like makes a, f- a sound <laughs> and a face. And I don't know if I've brought it up on the podcast before, but I have to temper chocolate when I do the Christmas baking. Um, and the reason I have to do it is that my mom refuses to do it. And I fucking hate it. It's terrible. It's like impossible to do because we're using such a small amount of chocolate. It's like, it's just enough for like one or two types of cookie that require tempered chocolate to, to work. Like it's like for peppermint bark and like one other thing. And so we don't want the bulk. And if you temper chocolate in bulk, it's not too bad. But when you're tempering a very small amount, the temperatures that you have to go up and down to are so precise. And usually you're in a kitchen, you know, like I'm in a home kitchen when I'm doing this, we've been baking for days. The temperature is very warm in the kitchen. So you can't even necessarily get down cold enough to be able to it's a nightmare and i say that from a very privileged position obviously it's not a nightmare but it's a pain in the butt so when when i found out that apparently like i looked down in the comments apparently that's like a thing for her and that she hates tempering chocolate and it like there are various points when it just breaks her i was like oh oh claire internet personality i uh have never and likely will never meet uh have never met and likely will never meet i see you I have been you in this moment. <laughs> and yes, I will go with you on this journey because tempering chocolate is the goddamn worst. And then, of course, in a bit of like balm for my soul, two of the other chefs who work there who give her, especially one of them, Chris, who gives her crap when she doesn't want to temper chocolate. He's like, yeah, but really you should, right? If you're going to do it right, you should do it. You should just do it. Um, he and Brad then, for like an April april fool's thing the chefs like switched shows so they had to make andy's mints so they had to temper dark chocolate and white chocolate for that and they just got their ass handed to them because <laughs> it's hard and because they had to maintain both tempers at the same time so that they could layer the chocolate for the andy's mints and just like they had to redo it like three or four times like with increasing amounts of chocolate because every time you remelt it you need a third you know so you keep adding to the volume and it was just null my soul it was lifted <laughs> I, I was just like i, I felt, felt such vicarious thrills through watching this uh this person who had uh you know just in past be like yeah she makes a big deal about it but i you know, even at the start of the video and who knows if this is intentional i don't know if they're good enough actors for this to be intentional but at the beginning of the process they're like i don't know if you make such a big deal i mean obviously it's really boring so i can see how it's easy to mess up just because you have it's very boring you have to you can't get distracted and then like Two minutes later, three minutes later, they're on their third temper of the same chocolate and they still haven't managed it. And it's just, oh, it's the thing of beauty. Anyways, that's me talking for way too long about tempering chocolate. As a long way of saying, I've, I very much have enjoyed my journey with Gourmet Makes. Uh, but most of the rest of the content I've been watching has been either shows I've previously talked about, uh, so I won't go back into here, or I'll, I've been watching a lot of Drag Race content. And I will specifically shout out... Um, 
Yuha uh, Hamasaki and her channel where she does bootleg opinions, where she does uh, the reviews of the runways for each episode of Drag Race. And she's been doing them by herself for right now because of coronavirus and distancing. Right? Normally she has a guest on, they record it at her place or her studio or whatever. Um, but this last episode they did a remote one, which kind of didn't work because the lag kind of did. It was a little messy, but, uh, but she's a, she's a costumer. As well as Drag Queen, who obviously has been on the show. Um, so she, but because of that, she really knows proportions. And aside of just like, I like this or I don't like this as a drag queen, as someone who is like, who makes costumes and makes clothes for other queens who have been on the show and just in general as part of uh, her livelihood, uh, she brings a really specific perspective to it that is very knowledgeable and and precise. And also then there's plenty of other, you know, ridiculous, silly, fun content, but there's uh, a specificity to her critiques that really elevate the show when she decides to get into the nitty gritty. Because it won't, it won't just be like, oh, I don't like the proportions are right. It'll be like, I don't like it. The proportions aren't right. Look at the width of the shoulders. Now look at the width of the the drape at the bottom. You need the hair to be this height compared to this just so that you can draw the eye. Like it's, it's really great um, if you're into that kind of a thing. So obviously this is not news to anyone who is in the drag, drag race YouTube fandom. There's a whole world of that content, but I wanted to, to single that one out because I, I've particularly enjoyed it, especially since fashion photo review has been just barely there these last couple of weeks. Um, which is the official one from World of Wonder. Bob the Drag Queen has been crushing it as the host of the Pit Stop, uh, which is the like the recap kind of show where they talk about the episodes. Um, but it, it's just been, it, it's been a lot of, there's been a lot of fun content that has then now entered my algorithm because of these new things that I've entered into it. Um, and then the last thing I will mention is some really delightful stuff from Late, uh, Late Show with Seth Meyers. Specifically, some very good Amber Ruffin content this week. Uh, she did an Easter parade from quarantine. Um, the To just give a hint, go check it out, listeners. But the first float, uh, which gets dragged across her like coffee table, <laughs> is the booze of quarantine. <laughs> Vodka, everyone's favorite. Favorite. And tequila, everyone's. It's also, it was on sale. <laughs> um, it's just, it's very good. It's highly, highly recommended. Um, and then she did a, a great reaction to some of the Surgeon General's uh, comments about, uh, about people of color needing to be responsible and not drink booze right now and various other things. It, Good stuff. Go check it out. Amber Ruffin's great, as is known. Any thoughts or questions or queries about any of these things I've been mentioning? I mean, I've been, I have, I won't say I've been wanting to, like, get into the Bon Appetit YouTube cinematic universe, mm -hmm. but I know a number of people who really, really enjoy it, and I was a little, actually a little surprised that you weren't already invested or involved in that in some way, because it seems like something that would be very up your alley, and I know, like, a lot of people who love it, so... I mean, to me, it sort of sounds like my relationship with, um like the polygon video team polygon being the video game website um i love their youtube content it's really great particularly their um board game series overboard uh but yeah it's the kind of short form type stuff that isn't produced by quibi <laughs> um i think is really enjoyable and it's sort of like a good way to just kind of unwind for me particularly um that this kind of stuff works really really well for that 
Well, and I, you say short form. I should specify these like gourmet makes things are like often 30 to 40 minutes. Like some of them are yeah, shorter, no. some of them are longer. But uh, the way I actually got into watching them was that I saw um, a couple videos hot up on my feed about uh, where all the gourmet, uh, the, the, where all the Bon Appetit chefs like showed how they make coffee. Like what's the best way to make coffee from uh-huh. home while quarantine, that kind of a thing. Um, and so that one, and then there was one about what's the best, what's your favorite kitchen tool and from, okay. and with everybody filming from their own like homes and stuff. Um, yeah. And so that is what, uh, cause I was, I've seen those, the gourmet makes before pop up. I was like, ugh, I'm Why would I, I'll just get the original one. I don't need to have a gourmet fancy version of, you know, cause like if all you see is the headline, Pastry chef right. attempts to make gourmet Oreos. Like, you don't need to fancy an Oreo. There's nothing wrong with an Oreo. But that's not the energy of the show at all. It's yeah. it's just like, let's let's hack this and have some fun. And if you needed to, like, if you had to make a Twix, would you be able to? And what would you do? And so it's very much like a puzzle process. And so and when, when she's sitting there and, like, she's made the shortbread cookie, um, and then she's like, you know what I bet I need to do? Oh, oh, yeah. And then she brings up the microplane and starts squaring off the edges. And then making the toppy perfectly flat. I was like, yes, this is a kindred spirit. <laughs> like, it's stupid, but it really helps. I should really do this. Yeah. Because <laughs> then it'll be exactly right. Um, so, yes, I, I'm sure I will get sucked deeper into the world of, as you say, the Bon Appetit cin- uh, the cinematic universe, um, YouTube universe. And that is an excellent way to describe it because that really is what it feels like. Yeah, no, that's been the general sort of consensus I've seen from other people who are engaged with it is that it's very much like that shared universe that you were talking about in terms of the co-workers engaging with one another, in particular in the test kitchen, as just this sort of thing that people have really, really latched onto over the past like few years as Bon Appetit reconfigured its YouTube uh, video face and content, which almost barely doesn't seem to be of a piece of the magazine anymore. But that's kind of how video content sometimes works on a lot of websites, that it doesn't quite feel connected to the other, the the site that it's affiliated with in some ways. Yeah. No, it's a very specific thing. And it's it's going for a different audience than the audience yes. who's going to pick up the magazine and the book, like in the in the store. That's a completely different audience. So it makes sense and is appropriate for the, the YouTube channel to have a distinct feel because if you didn't, you it wouldn't work. It wouldn't take off. And I'm sure that's a lesson that they learned, which is why they're doing what they're doing now. But um, speaking of doing what they're doing now, what is Killing Eve doing <laughs> in season three? Because, you know, every season they've had a new show runner and that's part of the intended structure and format of the show so slowly slowly catchy monkey does this have more of a season one vibe more of a season two vibe or is it something else entirely so i was talking about this with um cory barker um who we've had on a couple of times and one of the things that he and i were discussing was the fact that at this point expecting sort of degrees of continuity from killing eve is sort of not the point of killing eve And one of the things that when you ask that question about season one, season two vibe, and I think that the answer is both, um, because I think that at this point now we're sort of in the vein of the show's just going to be the same couple of two to three chords, and I'm borrowing Corey's metaphor here, the same like three chords just play differently each season. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that there can be really good, provided that the tone of those chords is correct. 
And so I think that's sort of like what the problem ended up being with season two is that we expected like a degree of escalation that never really occurred. And then the fact that it's ending mirrors in a way the ending of season one just felt weird and unnecessary. And just like, what are we doing here in terms of like development of this relationship between Eve and Villanelle? And I think season three, very much the premiere anyway, is a all right, we got to get the band back together, and there's only one way to do that, and it's to kill a, kill an audience favorite. And so that's what happens in the premiere, is to get Eve back on the hunt, because she is working at a like a restaurant making dumplings instead of being with MI6 um, as a result of what happened to her in Italy. And meanwhile, Villanelle is being recruited by her old bosses to come back into the fold. So it's all the same sort of beats that we've kind of already experienced, even like halfway through season two. And, but they've having a different sort of sense of expectations allowed me to enjoy the episode a bit more than I think I would have aside from the ending, which I don't really appreciate, but it was also the only way to get Eve back in the mix as it were, because there's nothing else to motivate her to go back on the hunt for the 12 and whatever uh, that there was just no way to motivate it. So I think that the best way to approach it is each show is just sort of like a riff on the same sort of concept and getting too beholden to continuity or worse, getting too beholden to the overarching mythology of what is the 12? Who are the 12? I think is a mistake. Um, and we'll see how that goes and if I'm going to be eating my words later <laughs> this season. <laughs> but I think having a different sense of what the show is and more specifically what the show thinks it is, is going to help whether or not I continue to enjoy it or not. Apart from the fact that Jodie Comer and Sandra are both just really, really, really good on this show still, uh, that... That I can stay invested in their performances, but that their performances can keep me invested in the show. Yeah, they're so they're so good, um, and that it, they. I mean, especially Sandra L. Oh, right, it took so long in her career uh, for her mm-hmm. to get a a role worthy of her. I would say that um, Christina Yang was worthy of her at various points of her time on Grey's Anatomy, but other than that. You know, she hasn't gotten as many opportunities as she deserves. So that's, you know, and then Jodie Comer for a lot of us was an unknown. Um, so having this, uh, the, these roles, especially after the impact and just how great I thought, at least, um, uh, the first season was, the second season just felt like quite a, a letdown. I mean, like yes. in, Episode to episode, there was stuff that was great. Don't get me wrong, but the more the further I got from Killing Eve season two, the less connected I felt to the show and to the characters, and to the point where I'm like, ha- I was not even going to watch season three until um, until you mentioned that that you were looking forward to it or that you were planning to watch it, and um, so I was like, oh, I guess I should put it in the notes. Okay, um, so I will. I'm sure I'd catch up with it, um, but it's I guess it's so it's encouraging for me to hear that. It's its own thing while feeling connected. Um, and it also sounds like I don't necessarily need to go back and like relook up all the things that happened at the end of the last season that I have forgotten about, aside from that, you know, the the final 
uh, culmination. Yeah. Uh, and that's good. And I do like the idea <laughs> of of uh, just like the like starting out with dumplings. Like I think that's a good like place to to find Eve, and that that does kind of make sense for me for her. You know, like uh, like that tracks with what I know of the character at this point. So um, yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be one that I'm now more interested to check out after hearing your thoughts on it. So that's, that's good. Um, what about Mrs. America, which is on FX on Hulu. They premiered three episodes this week, Phyllis and Gloria and Shirley, but, but you've only had time so far because of when we're recording to do two of them. Uh, this is one of the ones shows that I was most anticipating in the whole year and like moving it to Hulu from FX seems a bit odd. Um, because you've got Kate Blanchett and you've got Uzo Duba and you've got so many like amazing performers all vying for their Emmys <laughs> playing these <laughs> yeah. significant historical figures, um, and big budget and everything. Uh, but how did, how did this premiere, these premiere episodes, I guess, work? And is, do you think Hulu's going to be a good fit for this? I do think Hulu is a great fit for this. Um, I do. I have to imagine that there was a bit of like frustration about the show being shuttled to Hulu as opposed to being on like a prime FX slot um, on like the actual cable channel. Uh, but such is the nature of our changing TV landscape plus corporate overlords of Disney owning FX now. And so I think this is like, and like you said, Mrs. America is something I was also very keen on as a project. And the cast, like you said, is really solid. It also includes the people you mentioned, along with Rose Byrne, uh, Tracy Ullman, um, Elizabeth Banks in a very like kind of small supporting role, uh, character actor Margot Martindale. Um, and I think that there's there's just generally really good energy about the show. And I, I the show doesn't completely like grab me. I think it's really really well acted, like from the jump. But that isn't a surprise with this cast cast, I should say. But if I feel very of a distance, sort of a little bit, like I'm finding I'm trying to find a way to feel invested in it, um, which. I feel like is sort of my problem with a lot of like FX dramas in general. Anyway, is for some reason they just don't totally click for me um like something's missing something tangible sort of sometimes ends up missing a couple of rare recent exceptions aside and i think that's sort of like what's happening here is that i really like the performances i really like the aesthetics but there's just something that keeps me from feeling completely invested and i'm not quite sure what it is just yet um the reviews for it have been really positive but they basically gave critics the whole season. Um, this is a mini series that I think is running six to eight episodes. I think eight. Um, so I'm interested to see more. I'm going to watch the rest of it. Um, and I'm going to get to Shirley and I'm very excited about that. <laughs> yeah. I so. mean, Shirley Chisholm. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. And I think that like one of the big things about the show that I'm, that I do actively enjoy is the ways in which we're navigating sort of the idea of coalition building and how difficult and fraught that can be, uh, along with things of like around culture war type of mentalities, but also the ways in which people are too quick to dismiss things on the fringes, but it has that con that feeling of, Oh, well we know better as an audience, that kind of a thing when you're watching these kinds of um, sort of uh, 
heightened, dramatized historical fiction type stuff of, well, you know, Margot Martindale, when you're saying you don't need to take Phyllis Schlafly um, all that seriously because she's on the fringe in Illinois, we both know as an audience that that's a bad idea. You should be paying mm-hmm. much more attention. So it's that kind of thing that I always kind of get like squiggly with when I'm watching these sorts of things. But on the whole, I think that they do a decent job of avoiding that. But there's a couple of instances of like, oh, no, I'm sure that they probably felt this way. But having it like dramatized with like hindsight and historical knowledge is just it's never my favorite experience as an audience member. It changes the feel. Yeah, right. No, it changes the feel. Um, So I already have more information than the characters do, but I don't need the characters reminding me that I have more information than I than they do. Uh so it's really good overall, I think, but I'm just there's a weird distance for me that um hopefully I'll be able to overcome at some point. Um and listeners, if you're not familiar with the struggles of the uh 1970s feminist movement and then the counter the counterbalance against that then I'd encourage you checking it out, uh, if only for to get a little bit of knowledge, because um, Phyllis Scoffley, uh sort of faded out um, after the 70s. She never really fully went away, um, even down to the fact that she endorsed Trump and wrote a book about Trump, and that she endorsed Trump, and then the book that she wrote about Trump came out like either three days before she died or three days right after she died in 2016. So she was a major sort of player on a low-key way but never really gained regained the natural national prominence that she had in the 70s and into the 80s uh when reagan refused to appoint her to any sort of like governmental position because she was too controversial yeah yeah because if you don't know who she is you should know right but you also like don't want to have to because she's the goddamn worst yeah and that's that's the really kind of crazy thing is like i remember like u.s history textbooks and everything like that i had in school and it's just like yeah no we talk about gloria steinem and um those those folks but we don't there wasn't really a chapter or a mention of like opposition to the equal rights amendment and Mm -hmm. centering it around her specifically and so that I only knew about her from like being passingly familiar with the history, the wider history of that particular uh, time period. But I was talking with someone else today, not today, this week about the show and they were just like, had never heard of her at all. And again, that speaks to like the ways in which history has been written, but also the ways in which our discourse of particularly of areas that she exists, existed in don't enter into that conversation, which is good because it's toxic and it's bad um, in terms of the ideology behind it. But the ways in which that that gets marginalized is a counterbalance to it, as opposed to emphasizing, say, the infighting within the feminist movement is really interesting. Yeah. And it's just important to not take for granted, oh, the, the women's rights movement. Oh, women must have been behind that. No. No, 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 of course not. <laughs> Equal pay for, for women? No, nope, not all women supported that and support that currently. And 
here's one example. So yeah, and, it, and it, one very important example. So yeah, looking forward to diving in with this one. This is one of the ones I'm most excited to to get caught up with over the weekend, if if I'm able. Um, next up, we have the good fight, and the gang tries to serve a subpoena. So they're doing their always sunny thing for for all season it seems um how was this as an actual like kickoff for season four? Oh, and also did you see that delightful message was that at the beginning of the episode it was at the end of the episode so i'll get to that in a second uh so this episode sort of functions as a soft reboot of the show which is really delightful uh reddick reddick bozeman lockhart has been bought by a larger like firm con- a larger like conglomerate of uh, law firms and spearheaded um, here by John Larroquette. And it's just, they're leaning real hard into the weirdness factor of there's a big spiral staircase like outside um, Bozeman's um, office that goes upstairs that they just, they didn't have that before. But it all goes upstairs to this massive, really long sci-fi-esque hall way into Larroquette's office and none of it architecturally makes any goddamn sense and I'm here for it uh it's just really really good in a very weird sort of way and so I'm I'm excited about like the weird shenanigans that Larroquette who has a very good energy for this show is going to be bringing to the firm's uh plot stuff going forward uh, this episode also reintroduces um, David Lee, who's now a series regular on the show, uh, is back from The Good Wife and is with the firm, still working in family law. And he is with uh, Luca the entire episode, which you can imagine, Kate, um, as a Good Wife viewer, how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really delightful. And then this episode also kicks off the big sort of arc plot for this season which is memo 168 which apparently has some power over at the very least federal judges but probably more judges and what they're allowed to do to people and they've already kind of given away the ghost on what this memo 168 is in like the preview for the season but watching it get played out in this kind of weird conspiracy thriller um milieu and then centering that around Julius Kane of all characters, I think is really funny and really silly, but it also gives Michael Boatman a lot of really good stuff to play, which as you know, and longtime listeners know, and people who read like my good wife reviews over mm-hmm. at TV.com, I love Julius Kane and I love Michael Boatman. So the fact that the, sh- the good fight is very consistently done well by him, but that they're just continuing to do well by him now that he's on the bench after winning that election, I think just works really, really well. So I'm keen on what they're going to do this season. Um, and I'm very sad that I'm going to have to wait a week for the third episode since as you alluded to, this episode ends with a message from the, the cast and crew uh, to explain the fact that they had to shut down production of the show due to COVID-19 uh, before they were able to finish both this season. So they only have eight episodes as opposed to 10 that they finished shooting. But 
even the post-production process for the show isn't completed yet. And the message that they release kind of outlines the ways in which that that's a problem, from music composition to dropping in the music, to editing the music, to dropping in songs, to other sorts of post-production aspects that they do a really good job explaining the ways in which this is actually a very global process in a surprising number of ways, because I did not know that their their composer was in fucking Spain, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that whole thing, I think, is a really good example of how, especially television that we're going to be experiencing right now is going to be shifting really, really, really quickly. Um in that it's not going to be finished or it's going to take longer to finish, which is part of the reason why like all the CW shows have been off for almost a month at this point because of just the post-production demands of those special effects laden shows. And how do you do those shows? And this is the good fight. There aren't like special effects in the good fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a number of like post-production things that have to be done to have the show be finished. And so that message is really great. And then you get the cast and crew, including National treasure, Audra McDonald singing You Are My Sunshine because it's in the public domain and they don't have to pay for it. Um, but it's really sort of like, it's kind of sweet in a way some of these like other kind of sing-songy sort of things haven't been. But also you get Audra McDonald just singing You Are My Sunshine and it's like no one else can stand up to her and it's so good. Yes, but she's not at the same tempo. <laughs> No, and she's it really not. stands out. She's slightly too fast. That's okay. I'm not complaining. I don't care. I am. Put in an earbud with a metronome. Come on. You can do that. I believe in you. Or or just like have Audra record it and then have Jonathan Colton put it put in a metronome <laughs> set to whatever she did. Because I mean, oh my god, Audra McDonald's voice is just so amazing. I mean, they've got a number of good singers on that cast. Yes. Don't get me wrong, but like, yeah. I was just like it well and and because so many people sang it at different tempos, they were just cutting with each phrase because it would get slightly ahead, but not too bad um through like the midpoint of each like lyric or phrase, and then they would cut to the next person so they could reline it up. So it was a good job of editing. But yeah, um I, I, I was wanting to reach into the screen and be like, Okay guys, one more take. I know you can do better than this. <laughs> just us. And I'm sure the 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 music uh music editor or musicians or whoever like the composer whoever put that together for them the editors were you know we're feeling the same thing but but no it was very charming and uh yeah i'm very excited about you know like you might say that that the good fight uh has always had good stuff has had good stuff for michael bowman i don't think that's true i think they have uh better than other places sometimes give him but he has been so underserved so i'm very excited to hear that he's getting a big old juicy storyline this season yeah, no, it's very exciting. So yeah. I'm hoping it plays out for him. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I'm um, looking forward to it. Uh, up next is We're Here, which is a new show that's coming. It's a reality show. It's coming to HBO next week. It's going to be on Thursday the 23rd as uh, the premiere. And this is an hour-long reality show that follows um, Shangela, Bob the Drag Queen, and Eureka, all uh, three queens from RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, alumni, alumni. Uh, alumnuses, alumni from Drag Race, um, who go to a different small town each week to put on a drag show. And each of them are given 
a drag daughter or in some cases multiples uh, that they are going to like put into drag for this performance and they help them with that process. And they talk about like, why did you want to do this? And, you know, people each have their own motivations. And then at the end of each show, like, they have to go find a venue. And, you know, there's a little bit of behind the scenes stuff with like deciding on what look and you know that they're going to do and and all that you see a little bit of rehearsal but then at the end there's the performance of the show and this is absolutely charming i've seen three of the six episodes and i liked it when i watched i liked the first episode i liked the second episode a little more and then the third episode um by the time it finished i was very invested (laughs) so it really grew and then and then after i had some time away from it it really grew on me um, and the more I sat with it, the more it, it grew in my estimation. So it's I, I watched it like a little under oh, uh, a week ago, and I'm gonna have a, a pre air over at, at the AV Club. But um, the the episodes um, there's a good range of of who gets put into drag. There there are queer men, but there are also straight allies. There are uh there are cis women. There are like so there's a there's there are trans people and queer people and just like all sorts of different people that are that are put into drag. And and there's also a few different types of representations of drag. Like they reference drag kings. There's different like like there's like butch male drag and like and super hyper feminine female drag that men and women get put into. So like there's a nice uh it's it's a very niche and specific type of drag compared to all of drag, but compared to drag race, there's more variety. So I appreciate that. It does raise a bit of a question of like whose voice gets to be amplified by this, right? Like so in in one of the episodes, there's a person who has uh spent much of their life uh, professing bigoted views against gay people uh, based on their religious uh, convictions at the time, who has since come around, who is trying to show remorse for their previous actions. It's like, yes, that's great, but why is this person being celebrated and elevated over instead and not the person that they were belittling for those years and they were traumatizing for those years? You know? So, like... You because you want to celebrate that, and that's an important thing. But also, like, so it, it gets there are some conversations that it doesn't quite want to get into around that stuff because it just it's very celebratory, it's very accepting. Um, they're actively in reaching out to different types of communities and trying to to be very inclusive, which is great. Um, but there was a I would have liked a little bit more discussion of that part of things, right? Because Obviously, they're going to the small towns um, or smaller, smaller cities. One, uh, Gettysburg is the premiere, and then they're in Idaho, and then they're in Branson, Missouri. Um, so, like, these, they're going to different places in the country, and they're they're going for smaller towns. A lot of these places, uh, there people don't know anything about drag. There's not a drag community and scene, though there is in one of the three, and I won't tell you which, um, which is fun. Uh, But uh, there, they, it would have been nice to see a little bit more of, of of an embracing of of that part of it. It, it, And it's just, yes, getting, 
getting people to turn out for a drag show in a small town where nobody does drag and no, and very few, it's, it's definitely very much a subculture. Um, even just the awareness of, of drag, um, is, takes a lot of courage and is, is a big thing, but also you're getting an HBO budget behind this and you're getting a walk through this process by a full team of hair and makeup and costumers and lighting and, uh, you know, like pyrotechnics and like, they're going to make sure you look good. So this is a rare opportunity that a lot of people I'm sure would appreciate. So, um, yeah, there's, there's some little things here and there about it that I would like more examined if it gets, if it comes back for future seasons, but on the whole, it, I think it really works. There's some really moving stories uh, and 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 people that they t- interact with. Um, they're uh, the, like the nice thing about this when you cast your drag queens to be the start of this. Yes, you're getting performers, but you're also getting reality stars. So and, and all three of these queens are very good at the reality part of the reality competition show, right? About interacting with people, being vulnerable, and coaxing that comfort out of people, you know, the, the people that they're interacting with to be be present on screen and to to open up and so they can have these great reality TV kind of conversations in a way that another host who's an excellent performer wouldn't necessarily have that that personability and that uh, that um like be able to draw that genuine kind of reaction out of people um so so yeah they they they're very good hosts they there's enough variety in their t- in the types of drag that they are doing and that the types of drag that these three queens do that it's it, that there's enough variety for the performances that that's super fun and um also i mean just right now we're all stuck at home and i think you know like HBO had no couldn't have known that they were going to get a show that celebrates live performance and the importance of art and the importance of communication in, in self-expression through art at a time when more people are turning to art to to lift their spirits and fill their time than any time in recent American history and like a time where people are really hungering for in-person experiences so yes the drag performances at the end of each episode are are really fun um but also you get to watch their friends and family watch them and you know we would so many of us would like would love to go to a movie right now or go just have a communal viewing experience right now and so having that element of live performance is another extra benefit to it that's really uh really affecting like i think specifically right now as opposed to Anytime, but it's going for queer eye vibes, and it I think it pretty much nails that. And there's enough humor and fun in there um, to to make it something that I'm excited to to watch. You know, to watch the final episodes I haven't seen, but also just to to watch people react to and engage with. And I I hope other people like it as much as I did because I really did. That's great. I'm very excited to uh, see that. When does remind me when this starts again? Next week, Thursday, April twenty okay. third. So Sounds yeah. And the first episode is, I mean, like, the first episode is Gettysburg, and you see Shangela and Bob, and Eureka as well, but, I mean, obviously Shangela and Bob walking around, and there's Confederate flags everywhere, and it's like, awesome, I feel so welcome. (laughs) Even just as, like, um, as as queer and drag performers, like, they, every episode, they have new outfits (laughs) that look amazing. So even just on that level, if you just, like, one of these three queens and want to see them serving some new looks that you probably haven't seen before, it's, like, fun on a spectacle level as well. Great. That sounds really cool. 
So that'll be coming next week. Uh, our last show of the week is uh, Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race. And this week we have Madonna, the unauthorized Rusical. And in my review, my title of my review, Noel, over at the AV Club was The Rigamorous is Real. And other things, too. But, like, I finished the sentence. But I feel like that's the essential part. And The Rigamorous is Real in this episode. I call bullshit. I feel strongly about it. How did you feel about this? So I think the episode's pretty decent. Um, I I was like you and I had been like discussing what was what things had been missing from the season, and like a rusical was exactly what it was. I think that there's uh, good stuff in here. Mainly, I think that like the two things that kind of stood out to me mostly were the rehearsal processes. Uh, so I really liked Michelle's presence on stage uh, to give pointers and tips, and the criticism and recommendations that she made were both really really good uh, but also couched in a degree of support that i really really appreciated and then the other thing was the choreographer whose name i'm trying to pull up from your uh whatchamacallit i think it's jamal, jamal sims. sims yes thank you it's also really good i think in how he approaches dealing with each of the queens and even that degree of like with a widow's knee for instance and the ways in which uh, the Sims deals with that and just goes, no, no, we can figure out a way to, to work with that. As opposed to being like, you need to get this choreography done. I'm not changing any of this. Um, oh my god, Britta. It should be healed by now. I mean, they filmed these episodes over the course of like two or three days. So that means that the premiere, because she injured her knee at the end of the premiere. So that would have been like maybe two weeks ago. And there was a big old cut like... Come on, Britta. Was it Britta? I thought it was Widow that needed the... Yeah, no, but Britta was the one in the talking heads being like, girl, that should be healed by now. You're complaining about your knee. Oh, yes. Sorry, I forgot about the talking head bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that that was just a really good vibe overall for everything to have. So I really, really appreciated that. Um, and then just like the actual sort of musical I thought was pretty strong. Um as I think you pointed out in your review and then just in general, um, <coughs> I think uh, everyone being like, oh, we made a big mistake uh, letting Jan go first. That, that, was, <laughs> that, that, that was not a great idea. We, we thought we had something there. And then the answer was you did, except she was just safe and we're good uh, because no one cares about Jan. Hmm. Which is sad uh because i think jan's doing a pretty solid job um but that is sort of the thing is like she's just doing a really solid job um but yeah so i think that the episode generally is really fine um and the runway i really like the runway theme i really like how delighted michelle was about the runway runway theme because it was it was very good and it was a really solid kind of change of pace that i really appreciated what a nice tribute to her, and especially uh -huh. in an episode that she got to show how supportive um, and and fun she is working with the queens, which is something that normally we don't see on Drag Race, but apparently they 
uh, many of them experience when they're on the when they're on the road and they're on tour and she's with them, uh, like coordinating the shows and things. So the the queens always uh, tend to speak really highly of her and they really love working with her. But we don't get to see most of their interactions on TV because it's just the runway most of the time. Occasionally there's some direction, but here she was particularly supportive and really with them and rooting them on. And so to then in that same episode watch them get to pay tribute to her, I thought was really nice. Um, so do you agree? Was this Rigor Morris? Should should Jan have won? Um, yeah, probably. I think so. Um, again, and this is one of the trouble listeners where I really should rewatch the episode a little bit. Um, yeah, probably. I think that their performance like was very very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and remind me what their runway looked looked like she did the uh glamazonian airways michelle with the pink oh, like stewardess outfit okay. which was from right. one of the the previous challenges on i think a regular drag race it might have been all stars okay oh right that's right that's right um i liked her runway look a good bit um and i can see if maybe like it knocked her down a peg but i still think that she put on like sort of the best show during the musical Mm-hmm. So I think that should have been enough to get her the win. Um, yeah. The other bit of Rigor Morris from, from my perspective is that definitely Jackie should have been in the bottom. It should have been Jackie and Britta in the bottom. But uh, Rue didn't want Jackie to maybe get sent home because I think we can all remember that famous Valentina moment where Valentina was definitely supposed to send Nina Benita Brown home, but she wasn't ready for the lip sync. And so Nina yeah. sent her home instead. Um, so... So Rue had decided, okay, Britta's going home. So who can I put Britta? If I put Britta up against Jackie, though, she might just crush her in the lip sync because we haven't seen Jackie lip sync yet. So oh, I better not put her in the lip sync. Who can definitely beat Jackie in the lip sync? Or sorry, who can definitely beat Britta in the lip sync? But could it could be argued that maybe she deserves to be in the bottom? Heidi, we know Heidi's a dancer. <laughs> and like... I, I thought that Heidi did not deserve to be in the bottom, like certainly not the bottom two. And I also thought that Widow crushed it and should have been at least contending for the top as well as um, uh, Jada. I did not th- like they criticized Heidi for being too Heidi and not and not uh, Madonna enough. But then they praised <laughs> Crystal for being Crystal and not Madonna. And it was very frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I picked up on that too, um, and it was just really weird and very annoying. <laughs> I mean, like I get it; they need to. They wanted to send Britta home, and they needed someone who could definitely send her home. But like when the, when you're in it, I just think of Heidi, like her experience going through this. She isn't seeing all of that. She's just getting. They're just getting the feedback they're getting, right? And so, and and also, right? Jan, they gave the win to Gigi. You know, there's some who think that she absolutely deserves it, but also because they know how much Jan wants it. And if she doesn't get it, that makes better TV than if she succeeds at a challenge and wins that she's anticipated to win because this is what she does. And that her face when she was declared safe, like, yeah, it's a great TV. Like, it's a great moment. It's a really like, oh, my God, moment makes for good TV. But I just think of her experience filming all of that because these are actual people and it just bothers me. But um, I will say though, that I did agree with the results in the, the upcoming episode. And uh, I thought, I thought that, I thought that lip sync was okay. The one from last week, but the, I really liked the lip sync that 
that you know is coming in the next episode which is called droop so yeah the the main challenge um is is fine the queens do well but uh the the for me the star of the next episode is the runway and the lip sync so i will look forward to your thoughts did you have any final thoughts on and on the rusical or anything else in in drag race right now no i don't think so well then what wins your week in tv oh great question i watched so much tv this week um let's see um what did i really enjoy i think i'll give it to what we do in the shadows this week um even though brooklyn 99 which i didn't mention also was very funny this week uh but what we do in the shadows was just really kind of exactly what i needed uh what about you what won your week well i really like kim's convenience but uh, i'll give it to we are here for this week, um, which is kind of cheating because it's going to air next week. So in that case, I'll give it to Drag Race. But um, yeah, there was, I, I didn't watch a lot this week, but I did really enjoy the things I did watch. Uh, now we'll take a break and we'll listen to a trailer and come back to talk about season four of Kim's Convenience. The Kims are back. Yeah. hundred times. Yeah. It's more for spice lovers. It's fine. Oh my god! Water makes it worse. I realize that now. And that's the hot water. My world is fire! Can we cool with the oil? I can see myself in his chest. So can I. If you find a ring in the car, let me know. You lost one? No, I want one. I was just telling the truth. I saw Tidays, you better than death. Pew pew! I take a year to soccer. I used to score so much, huh? And get lots of gold, too. <laughs> yeah, just a kidding. <laughs> Kim's Convenience on CBC and CBC Gem. That was a trailer for season four of Kim's Convenience, which is now available on Netflix. Of course, it airs on CBC. Originally, it's a Canadian show. Uh, we've talked about it before. We're big fans here at the Televerse. Uh, Noel, what did you think of season four? I really, really liked season four. Um, I think one of my the things I sort of most responded to in this season was the kind of sense of a lack of a, whatchamacallit, like an overarching sort of plot um, or like narrative or like arc this Mm -hmm. season uh so everything felt very like everything felt really standalone there were like little bits of things here with the uh young and uh jung and um oh sharon stuff shannon thank you um but then like it was basically just like ah we've got some stuff for you in the finale don't worry (laughs) (laughs) and it's like oh okay you do so I think that's sort of what I liked about this season the most is that it was just a series of really good standalones that were predicated on, um, whatchamacallits, on really good sort of like the bread and butter of the show of um, mistaken identity, mistaken overhearing type stuff, um, or that kind of a thing, or the dreaded, dreaded gift swap. Mm-hmm. Um stuff of like these are all really established sitcom comedy tropes but i think that they all just work really nicely on this show because of how good this cast is and how just delightful these characters are uh how did you feel about season four 
It was so lovely. I watched like I watched the first six episodes in one sitting, <laughs> and then I spaced the next uh, seven out uh, over the next couple of days. But um, it's and it was such happy <laughs> TV, <laughs> so so happy making, right? Exactly the kind of TV I'm looking for right now. Um, and it's another one of these shows that I would love if it got the same kind of boost from being on Netflix that like Shit's Creek has gotten. Um, I kind of doubt that. I feel like if that was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Uh, yeah. But maybe with Simu Liu being uh, cast in, you know, Marvel, that will, once that movie comes out, that'll raise the profile. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it is uh, such a warm and uh, funny and human show. They really do understand these characters at this point so well, uh, season four here. And they know what they want to do. There's a few of these threads that, it feels because it's already been renewed for season five. You can feel like they're set, setting up stuff is like we're going to do this, but we're going to do it in season five. So first, we'll set up this other thing that we're going to do for like Nathan is around way too long. Um, and yes, it makes sense for the character, and yes, it like I totally buy it. But also, can we just fast forward to what is apparently going to be a triangle with Raj and someone else that I won't say in case people are have not watched the season yet? Because um, yeah. I think they, I wasn't sold on that thing that I'm dancing around, but I think yes. that's, I think that they think the performers sold it about as well as you could ask them. Um, yes, I agree with that. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of really fun stuff though. The one, I think the storyline I'm least certain about is actually the new thing with Pastor Nina, a love life for Pastor Nina. How, what did you think of that? I was generally sort of okay with it, um, if only because it gave us some Pastor Nina stuff, and I love Pastor Nina. But I, I think that the ways in which it gets sort of woven in uh, for a couple of episodes here, I think it's kind of funny. Um, but one of the things I do like about it um, is that it sort of gives our side characters like a life outside of our family. Mm-hmm. Which I think is important, but the ways in which it also then gets folded into their lives, whether it's you get a little bit of a thing in an elevator, which is a very good thing on <laughs> like that elevator trope, which I just really, really like, or the ways in which it gets folded into like the business lecture, which just the entire thing of that business lecture is great. So the the payoffs from that of for a love life for the pastor. I think makes it okay for me because everything else is just really very funny. The, the elevator scene is really great. I didn't always, I didn't buy any chemistry with that uh, at all. So yes, that didn't no, help. I don't really buy that part of it, but I'm willing to overlook it. Yeah. Um, the I do really like that talk, like you said, at the church is terrific. Um, and, and I particularly like the focus this season on Amma and Appa's, uh, like, personal lives. And we got, mm -hmm. I, I, maybe we didn't, but it felt like we got more time with them, with their friends. And I thought that, that was all terrific. I really liked the increased presence of some of the, the various other business owners around the town, like, at the store. I liked the book club. I liked, like, you know, the, the whole Janet and Raj thing, like, blowing over into uh like the metas and like how that affects these other yes. relationships like there was there was more um texture to their lives i thought this season not that there isn't yeah. usually because there is but i thought that I, you know that they, that was particularly well handled this season 
Yeah, and I, I like that idea of like how they're texturing. I, I like that phrase a lot and how you describe that because it's a really good way of getting out what's happening here because I think that the show does that okay for the most part, typically mostly through like the church that they go to. Uh, but the ways in which it sort of bleeds when those that texturing occurs through like multiple characters and layers, which doesn't always happen on the show, uh, as it does here, I think just is really sort of delightful. And it allows for all kinds of weird and fun confusion type things to happen here that I really, really enjoy. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, what did you think about, uh, let's go to Janet. What did you think about the Janet yeah. corner of the season? Um, and did you have a favorite Janet episode? Because I think I have to go with the show and the, uh, the 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 prize, I think, was my favorite thing for her. Yeah, the prize. Can we just talk about the prize real quick? Um, <laughs> because Kate, my partner and I, we've been, uh, I've been rewatching and she's been watching for the first time uh, Slings and Arrows. <gasps> oh, that's delightful. And we're we're probably not going to do season three because I've told her that season three is kind of a bummer. And she's like, I don't really want to watch a bummer right now. Mm-hmm. It's so good, though. But yeah, it's no, so it's, good. It's, it's darker. It's dealing with darker themes. Yeah. But in season one, you'll remember what's her name? The red haired woman. Mm hmm. Claire, I think, who's just terrible that Rachel McAdams replaces. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be that harsh, but OK. <laughs> I know. who. Yeah. You mean. Well, yeah, she's. It's the same actor playing Janet's photography professor. Mm-hmm. And just the the ways in which it's just like, oh, this is what she did with her life after she didn't make it in the new Burbage Festival. And it just adds like a fun layer. But no, the prize thing I think is really, really kind of like a perfect example of what the show does really well when it sort of wants to interrogate this kind of things about racism and privilege and how that sort of like gets sort of like worked into like almost like borderline farcical type stuff um, while still feeling kind of pointed also and like not necessarily letting anyone off the hook. Uh, and it's just, it's really sharp writing and sharp storytelling uh, for a show that doesn't always want to like deal very directly with those things, uh, but has also gotten better about dealing with them over the course of its run, which I really, really appreciate. Uh, how did you feel about it then? Oh, it was just so fun. And also, of course, I could relate to the teacher when she's like, can I? And she starts to talk. It's like, I have 15 minutes for my lunch. Just let me eat my lunch. <laughs> um, it's like, I have to shove this in my face and chew in the next. This is the only silence I get. Um, and and the, uh, the exasperation towards the end where she's like, she's really into stripes and that's she really likes this artist and all he does is stripes and i'm supposed to try to sell that as like you know, like yep art is subjective and i thought the it was well handled on a writing level i thought the performances were really good i was very with janet through that whole journey um 
And then the capper of here's her with the metal, <laughs> metal, and here's the, and uh, and the just the understanding, the way that they come to the understanding rather than a fight over ownership of the metal and responsibility. I thought was really lovely. I, I, I like that they brought it back around to a character beat at the end between yes Janet and Emma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, everything you just said was really spot on, and like I think that's like the best strength of the show is that they always. They do this sort of like either cringe comedy, farce comedy, mistaken identity, all this sort of stuff. But it always like circles back to character, which I think is really, really important. And they don't lose sight of that. And I Mm -hmm. really it's one of the best things about the show because they have this just really delightful and talented cast so that their comedy always serves their cast, which I think is really important. Yeah, I agree. Um, And on. You know, to that point, I would say I I particularly enjoyed Kimchi this this season, um, and I liked I like his journey. I think his journey over the course of the se- series has been my the most interesting to me. I like the way that they have paced it. I think like the kimchi that we're getting this season, like where he's at with his relationship with Gwen, um, how comfortable he is in his position at work and the, just the different social dynamics there has been just delightful. And uh, I, I just, I, I always, I always enjoy kimchi, but I thought some of the, like the, like the, the spice off and the, the gift exchange you already referenced, which was, so terrific. Such great stuff for, for Jung and Shannon, of course, but also good stuff there for Kimchi. Like, I I really enjoyed what, what he got. I'm looking forward to the three of them living together next season. Oh, man. I just... That's going to be so, so brutal. Yeah, I, I assume it's going to last, like, two episodes, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but it's just going to be... It's going to be brutal. And I'm very excited about that because that whole vibe is. <sighs> Sharon's new roommate is just too attractive. Like mm-hmm. the fact that they found someone more attractive than a guy who's been cast in a Marvel movie mm-hmm. is already really impressive. But <laughs> it's just going to be very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have any uh, other favorite uh, Jung and uh, and Shannon content? I thought the dance off was pretty good the dance thing i think was probably my favorite bit that they got this season it was just very very silly but also the ways in which they both just hated it and then embraced it i think is just really lovely Mm -hmm. the the final the cap around that with the kills yes very good very good stuff (laughs) did you have any other moments that you wanted to single out i mean we we haven't really talked about appa i mean the, the whole thing with the witch drawing and and that and the uh, versus the the ba- live up band and the different episodes exploring Janet's relationship with her parents was lovely. And that that scene with Appa and Janet, you know, where they're both on on the edge of the tears. I mean, Paul Sung Hoon Lee was just amazing, and Andrea Bang really. Uh, I mean, she I always enjoy her, but I thought she particularly stepped up in that episode. Yeah, um, that is a really good episode. Um, what did I... I really liked uh, the episode where Appa becomes a soccer dad. <laughs> yeah. And because, again, that's something that's really overplayed. But because of the history between him and Jung, that the entire thing becomes more fraught in a way that you don't get on in that narrative otherwise. And I found it really... Again, like 
I really like your word textured because they're that it provided a different sense of texture to it that I really, really, really liked. Well, and they made sure they didn't talk about that too much. They didn't write that exactly. text. They let it be like, like the reason that he was hesitant to start. Clearly, this is something that's happened before with the two of them when, when Jung was a kid, but Simu Liu really plays the, like that yearning to have this aspect of his childhood with his dad back and why he knows he's being a jackass, but he isn't ready to, to lose that quite yet, which is why Kim Ji was like, oh, he quit, didn't he? Because he didn't have it in him to to sacrifice that just yet. And it's such a an emotional and fraught beat that they leave completely under the surface, trust their actors to do, and then they just play the comedy at this at the top level, and it really works. Yeah, it does. And I think that that's what matters in that episode is that it doesn't become a rehash of anything. Instead, it becomes a refinement of things. And I think that's really, really important. I do like Shannon trying to become friends with Janet with the pet photography. I can't relate to that at all. (laughs) Yeah, no, you can't. You can't relate to that at all. And it's just, it's really good. Yeah. And just trying to get paid in gift cards and like, yeah, no, no, that's... (laughs) Can't use a gift card for my rent. <laughs> yeah. Those were the two ups, two plots that stood out to me. But also, naturally, like as someone who has his own bedroom and lives with someone uh, that they're romantically involved with, Appa and Uma, Ama, um, trying out a different sleeping arrangement. Again, the most stock of things, really, I feel like. And it just feels really funny in the this show's hands. Yeah, they know how to take that material and really personalize it to these characters and make it, um, if if not fresh, they they don't make it stale. They don't let it, they don't let it feel stale. Um, and yeah, there's just a specificity to it that's really lovely. Yeah, lots lots of fun little details here. We haven't mentioned our family dinner. I thought that had the import it needed and the weight that it needed, um, and that I mean everybody's good on the show, but that really felt like Jean Yoon's one of her big episodes, the just watching her react to all of that while also still clearly being shit-faced um, was just absolutely lovely. And the fact that they don't hard play the family togetherness after that in the season is smart. I assume that's, I mean, I was, when the last episode is called Bon Voyage, I just assumed that they're writing Jung off because Nalu has to go be in Marvel movies. Um, right. So the fact that they don't do that and they aren't hard playing some of these other things tells me they have a specific plan Um and structure that they want to use in season five. And I'm, I'm excited for what that's going to be. Yeah. And I, I like that. That's, I think that they, I don't know, like the production timeline for this versus his casting. Um, but I think that the ways in which that can be read as sort of a tease, I really like as a, well, we all know you think that this is how this is going to go, but not, nah, we got you. Mm-hmm. And then they do that thing at the end that we're sort of dancing around, um, which I agree with you doesn't quite work. Um, but we'll see how it keeps going forward um, in the next season. Yeah, these uh, writers and, and creatives have a lot of uh, trust from me, so... Yeah, we'll see what happens. Did you have any final thoughts on, on Kim's Convenience Season 4 besides, you know, like, people, go, go watch it. It's, it's really good. Yeah, just go watch it. Like, uh, you've you've got lots of time right now, presumably, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a good way to spend it. Yeah, it's lovely. It's very nice. 
Um, well, that will wrap up our episode for this week. A few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find us in Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also up on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And, of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.